everyone. This is Toby. As you may notice, this isn't a regular episode. That's actually not an episode. But you'll notice it's long. Uh, and I'll get to that in just a minute. Because this is going to just be a short update kind of episode. And then there's something special after I get done speaking. So you're going to want to stick around for that. So, let me start off by saying we had a ton of fun at Mothman Festival. But we were just simply wore out. (laughs) Did not research anything for a topic for this week's episode. So we took a week off. And since it was going to be unexpected... I asked for a favor from a friend, and again, I'll get to that in a minute. But for the updates, so we are about to hit October spooky episodes, which we always do spooky episodes, but we have to be especially spooky for October. So we are going to do a few Halloween-y type episodes for the month of October. I keep saying October, October. But more importantly, in October, the last week of October, because we always release episodes on Friday, Saturday, if I'm late. But uh, the last week of October, which should be October 26th or October 27th, I haven't decided on the day, but I think we are going to do a live episode on YouTube to celebrate our 100th episode. I know it kind of messes up our... Spooky October Halloween stuff, but it's a celebration of 100 actual episodes. We're not counting our after darks and takeovers and a few other little things, secret theaters. It will be 100 actual episodes. So we've already actually hit, if you if you do all the math, we've hit over 100, but this is exciting. So I'm going to do something special. We're going to do a live episode. And I'd like your participation. The ladies are going to be quizzed on some questions. And uh, I want you to write the questions and answers. I need the answers, too, because I'm an idiot. We know how bad I am about getting facts straight. So if you want to participate, all I need you to do is get on Instagram or Twitter at Secret Transpod or on our Facebook page or in the Facebook group or email us secrettransmission at hotmail.com with the question. And it could be from a previous episode. It can be trivia about our show, something stupid that we once said. Nothing about the Titanic and the moon, please. No. (laughs) But it could be anything. If you want to be funny and be like, uh, I don't know, who was the fifth president? You could do that. So just uh, give the answer choices that you want. Like, I mean, give the question and the answer choices and the correct answer, because I'm an idiot again. And uh, leave the name that you'd like said on the show. And it's going to be part of our 100th episode celebration. So I want to celebrate with you. And I would like for you to tune in. And I will have more updates uh, on the following weeks of when this is all going to go down. So that's all fun. That's all good news. I got a little bad news. Just a little. It's not terrible. It's just, it is what it is. So November and December, we're going to pump the brakes a little bit. We're going to slow down. We're not taking a full break because I don't want to take a full break. But we're going to go to a bi-weekly schedule just for November and December. And then come January, we're going to pump it back up to an episode a week. I've had uh, some recent job changes, uh, sort of. So I need to give a shout out to the automation crew that I'm working with right now. Abel, Alan, and Tanner, if they listen. I don't know if, they, if they're going to listen to this one. But if they do, they got the shout out. Um, yeah, so they've been training me in a new position. Not a new position. They're training me to make me more valuable as the job that I have. So uh, I haven't, it's been kind of stressing me out. I'm not going to lie. It's it's been kind of stressing me out. There's a lot to learn and my brain is fried when I come home. So uh, to unfry, we're just going to do 
one episode a week in November and December. By then, I should be done with all the training and everything, but it'll help me get caught up on all the research I have to do for the show. I know it's little to no research, but I still do quite a bit of research. Jerk that left the bad review recently. Calling me stupid. Anyways, <laughs> so, um, about that favor I asked. So, since this was sudden and I didn't give anyone a, a heads up, I asked for a favor from one of my favorite shows. It is the Sloth Man Prophecies. I asked Carl if uh, I could uh, play one of their episodes in place of ours. So, you guys, the listeners, still get some content, and it's from their most recent episode. And and I really hope that you like them as much as I do, and I hope that you go check them out. They are on Twitter, at SlothPod, so go tell them hi. Go say, hey, I liked you guys. I, I heard you guys on The Secret Transmissions. And uh, show them some love. It's a great show, and you're about to find that out because that episode is about to play. So I'd like to thank Carl and Justin for allowing us to play one of their episodes, and I know... Our listeners are going to enjoy their show a lot. That's that's why I asked if if we could play one of their episodes. And uh, yeah, yeah, good times, good times. And hundredth uh, episode at the end of the month. Saying it one last time, February twenty sixth or twenty seventh. I'll have more updates. Follow us on all the social medias and keep up to date. Send us your questions, and. Uh, We'll get started next week with our first Halloween episode of the year. So, yeah, good times are ahead of us. Yeah. All right, love you guys. Ciao. I think I got the sound of the flesh of my body peeling off my, like, pleathered chair back. Excellent. Nice crescendo to that clap. Hot, hot, hot. I'm always do, feeling do, 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 hot. Do, do, do. Always feel it's fucking hot, hot, hot. More humid than humid. Uh, it is 95 degrees outside, and I'm pretty sure it's 95 degrees inside, at least. Let's take a look. Uh, I don't know why, but like, I guess our little air conditioner cannot keep up with what is happening to our climate change or whatever. Oh man, yeah, you got you have you have the hotter temperature and I have the hotter humidity. Ooh. The higher humidity. I guess humidity isn't hot. <laughs> well, welcome to Slothman Prophecies, a show where myself, Carl, and my best friend Justin say hello Justin. Hello Justin. I tried to pull I tried to peel my back off the chair again to lead up to saying <laughs> that I think I said it a little ASMR like on accident as well. Well, <laughs> we talk about weird stuff here and uh Tonight, Justin, you're in for a treat, because I don't even know if you listened to the first edition of this, but tonight we are continuing our First in Fright series, where we examine the myths and legends and unsolved mysteries of North Carolina. Ooh. Is the mystery why it's so humid here all the time? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, probably the hurricane is why it's humid there, right? It's always humid here, but... <laughs> Is the mystery why your opponents can see your ghost-type Pokemon without the stilscope? That is a good question. Viewers, if you are following us on Twitter, get at me. Let me know. Can you explain to us why, when you're playing Pokemon, you have to go get the stilscope before you can see anybody's ghost Pokemon, but then other people can see your ghost Pokemon, no problem, no matter where you are? Is it that everybody in the world already has a stilscope? Or is it just a bunch of bullshit that you never needed the stilscope? It was all in your head, like a sixth sense thing. That's not even. That's not the right. That's not the right analogy. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah, that's the. It's like the opposite of the sixth. The sense. opposite of the sixth sense. <laughs>
It could be. Ooh. Actually, did you know that you don't actually need the self scope to beat the game? You don't even have to do that whole part of the game. Really? Yes. The The reason you have to get the self scope normally is because of the ghost that turns into Marowak blocking the top floor of Pokemon Tower. Yeah. But you can also buy a Pokedoll from, I think you can buy them in Saffron City. Yeah. But a Pokedoll normally is an item that you use it and it guarantees to let you run, it, it forces you to run away from battle. So you can actually use it okay. against the ghost and it will end that battle and let you proceed with the game. Oh, interesting. That's a little, that's a little hmm. speed run tip. A little pro tip. Yeah. <laughs> Have you made any further progress with Pokemon Black? I have not. I've been playing Hollow Knight, which you just saw me get my ass beat. I did. It was very fun. Very, very <laughs> fast-paced combat. It's a lot of fun. I could not play that game. It's, it's too fast. I played some Crusader Kings 2 today, and I similarly got my ass beat. Slowly, though. I had everything pretty much lined up to inherit like most of England and Scotland all at one time. I just had to hold it together for one more generation, and... uh in the midst of being dragged into, like, six other people's wars via alliance ties, my own stupid uncle rebelled against me mm. to change the secession laws uh. and won because I'd already exhausted my forces fighting other people's battles. And then you can only change the secession laws once per ruler. So I can't change them back and... And when my current ruler dies, it's going to go to the uncle because he changed it to seniority. So the oldest member of the family gets it unless he dies before me. But he's trying to kill me now, obviously. So it's a real pickle. Did you know it's supposed to be 30 degrees colder where you are in two days? I did know that and I'm eagerly awaiting because I am dying. But here I sit in a blanket fort with my air conditioner off for you viewers for you so oh it sounds awful being under a blanket speaking of things that we're doing for you viewers next week marks the beginning of a month-long celebration that katie and i created uh this is the third annual fiesta ween <laughs> and this year we'd like all of you to join us because this is the first one we'll have on the podcast it's a month-long celebration during October, and uh, basically there's there's not really any strict rules. Watch as many horror movies as you can, drink margaritas if possible, eat chips and salsa, maybe throw a little, like, some paper skulls around places. Uh, that's pretty fun. We'll have some, some special bonus content. I did an interview with uh, my college roommate, Cooper, about a mutual ghost story that we experienced together. So uh, we'll release that at some point. And uh, it, sh it should be fun. It should be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm working on getting some more stuff going. But also during Fiesta Ween, we're going to be donating any of the proceeds from our Tea Public store to the Central and Eastern North Carolina Food Bank for Hurricane Florence relief purposes. So if you need any shirts, mugs, cell phone cases, pillows, tapestries, or anything else and with our logo on it, and you just didn't want us to have the money, Here's this is your solution. Uh, you can go buy all that stuff, and, uh, and we'll send that money straight to somebody who needs it. Uh, or you can go donate directly to them and not even bother with our merch. Their website is uh, www.foodbankcenc.org, and they've got a real easy donate button up on the website, which I think is key if you're running a charity. Got to have an easy donate button. Or you, but you could just buy our stuff. We need it. You, you could buy a mug and feel smug. There you go. Yes. <laughs> buy a mug and feel smug. Uh, buy a tapestry. Don't get the clapestry. First thing that came to mind. Well, Justin, are you ready for your first in fright two? <laughs> Electric boo galoo. Uh, our first story is the Averisboro Gallinipper. Oh, I'm getting flashbacks to uh, that guy. <laughs> What's the guy's name that flayed people and rubbed hot peppers on their bodies? <laughs> El Sabon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it was El Sabon's grandpa. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, did that to El Sabon. Abuelo del Sabon. I'm curious to see if you've ever heard of any of these, because these are all from our home state. So, uh, have you ever heard of the Averasboro Gala Nipper? No, that sounds like a Jiffy Cat URL. I've not heard of it. Uh, so, the, the have you heard of the town of Averasboro? Is it near Greensboro? No, it's not. It's not near Greensboro. No, I have not. No, it is near Fayetteville, kind of. And it's pretty small now, but it was a pretty big deal back in the day. In fact, uh, in the early 18th and 19th century, it was the third largest city in North Carolina. That's what I read one place. I don't know if that's true, but I heard that. Uh, Also, there's a story that maybe there was a bill that went through the state legislature to make Averisboro the state capital uh, that only failed by one vote. So it was almost our Raleigh, but uh, I'm glad not it, quite. I'm glad it wasn't because that's that's a cumbersome name to say. Averisboro? Way too many syllables. That's true. It's also um, the site of a very famous, well, the beginning stages of a very famous Civil War battle called the Battle of Bentonville, which was pretty key in the surrender of Joe Johnson, uh, which kind of, it was like the conclusion of Sherman's victory over a lot of southern forces and anyway there were like 30,000 federal troops that went up against 6,000 confederate troops in Averisboro and uh they each had like 700 casualties uh which sounds like a tie but it was a lot worse for the confederates so technically a uh federal victory and it really set the stage for the battle of Bentonville anyway uh there's nothing really there now except for a Civil War museum and a big giant cemetery. But back in the day, it was a thriving port because it sits right on the Cape Fear River, which you can ride up all the way almost to like Raleigh. Well, you probably can ride it up to Raleigh right now. <laughs> uh, and there was a lot of forested area nearby. So it was particularly popular for logging crews because you could cut the trees right down, throw them in the river and then hop on, ride them down to Wilmington, or maybe if you had a boat, I guess, pull them up to, I have, I have no idea how logging works, but I think that's, they, it was popular. The The image in my head is that they, they cut the logs down in the river, tie them together, and then get on them and pull, pull themselves along the river. But that might just oh, I be thought they just, Mississippi River. Uh, I thought they things. would like get on it facing down river and then they would just start doing that the log roll thing where they run and it spins backwards and just kind of propels them up river like a hamster wheel i don't know i I, I guess the opposite of a hamster wheel we can go with that there's also another abundancy of natural resource maybe not resource in the area and that is mosquitoes there are quite a few mosquitoes there because there's a lot of swampy areas in Averisboro. And legend has it that deep in the swamps of Averisboro, there's a mosquito unlike any other you've ever heard of, Justin. The Averisboro Gallinipper. The size of a hawk! Oh. Able to suck the blood completely out of a man in one feeding. Well, I have two things to say about that. I think there is actually <laughs> an animal... No, that's a tarantula uh, there actually, hawk. There actually is a mosquito called uh, a Gallinipper now. And my understanding is it's named after this. I have no fear of mosquitoes because Kristen told me that mosquitoes are drawn to people of a specific blood type. I have no idea what my blood type is, but every time we go outside in the summer, I come I come back inside with zero, maybe one bug bite on a bad day. And Kristen always has like 10 plus. My, uh, my grandma, I think, used to say... That it that they go for people with sweet blood, <laughs> but I have that too. Like I don't really. If somebody else is around, I usually don't get bitten by mosquitoes that much. It's usually whoever else. So maybe it is a maybe we have the same blood type. Yeah, I don't know what mine is. Wow, you should you should probably figure that out just in case you uh, die. Oh, why will I need to know if I die for vampire purposes? Oh yeah, we did talk about this. So the legend of the Gallinipper starts with the Tuscarora people. They're a Native American tribe that migrated from the Great Lakes area of New York down to North Carolina 
around 500 CE. Isn't that crazy? That's such a long time ago. (laughs) That blew my mind when I read that. Yeah, I don't know of anything that really happened at that time at all. It's that's what like 50 to 75 years after the fall of Rome, I think. Yeah, it's like a thousand and fifty years before Henry VIII. Like, it's an incredible amount of time. Anyway, in 1891, Chief Elias Johnson, who was chief of the Tuscarora people for a while, he wrote a book called Legends, Traditions, and Laws of the Iroquois or Six Nations and History of the Tuscarora Indians. Quite a title. You can read that in its entirety. It's on archive.org. Um, oh, it's, it's in the, the public, public domain. Yeah, we love the, the public, public domain. domain now. Yeah. Uh, also, they have a PDF like scan of the actual book, and it has a sweet cover. Uh, it's very cool. What language is it in? He writes. I, I'm just going to read this section that he wrote. Wait, about is this in English? This, uh, this legend. Okay. Here we go. Here wait, we go. wait, wait, wait. <laughs> what language is this book in? Uh, English. It was written in English. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this is 1891, so I mean, it's. Oh, okay. You did say that. Never mind. I guess that's not surprising after all. <laughs> yeah, this is not a 500 CE book. Yeah, I don't think I don't think English existed then. He writes, after a while, a pestiferous and annoying creature of the insect kind appeared in the guise of the Roteyo. That's R-O-T-A-Y-Y-O. And then in parentheses, he says a huge mosquito. It first appeared among the Tuscaroras along the Nice River. It flew about with vast wings, making a loud noise with a long stinger, and on whomever it lighted it sucked out all the blood and killed them. Many warriors were destroyed in this way, and all attempts made to subdue it were in vain. But at length it retired of itself. Next, they heard that it had appeared about the fort at Onondaga, where it also destroyed many lives, until, sorry, we had a cat through a little art there, uh, until Terran Yawagan, probably not saying that right, sorry, Terran Yawagan, <laughs> made a visit to the ruler of the Onondagas. The great mosquito happened to come flying about the fort as usual at that time. Terran, <laughs> Terran Yawagan <laughs> immediately... <laughs> Maybe it's Terran Yawago, and this autocorrected it to Terran Yawago. You can, you can short it, <laughs> shorten it to like Terry if you. I'm going to call him Terry. Terry um, immediately made yeah. his attack, but such was the rapidity of its flight that he could scarcely keep inside of it. He chased it around the borders of the Great Lakes, towards the setting sun, and around the great country at large, east and west. At last, he overtook it and took his strong bow and sent an arrow which struck him through the heart and killed him near Jen-and-do-a, the salt lake of Onondaga. From the blood flowing out on this occasion where the present species of small mosquito originated. Okay, first of all, it sounded like Shenandoah when you said whatever that place, the salt lake <laughs> of Onondaga is. Uh, it's but... Jen-and-do-a, G-E-N- dash a n dash d o dash a and i neglected to look up where the salt lake of anondaga is let me see so i think what you read was at last he overtook it and took his strong bow and sent an arrow which struck him through the heart and killed him which perhaps is just poor grammar but it sounds like he accidentally shot himself uh, that's what I thought the first four times that I read that, <laughs> and then finally I figured out he meant the the mosquito, but it did take me a while to figure that out. That is apparently Onondaga Lake uh, is in New York, near, kind of near Rochester, kind of near Ithaca. So he, really he ran near from anything in particular. North Carolina to, oh, that's never mind, he went, he traveled up there, because yeah, the mosquito went there, so he went to pay the mosquito, a visit. Yeah. Like all over the United States is kind of what it sounds like. But yeah, he, yeah, that's what happened. So yeah, he chased it all around. I would be. And that's where he killed it. Doing the opposite. If I heard there was a mosquito that sucked all of the blood out of someone, I would chase. <laughs> I would run away from it. But oh, I would just stand next to somebody else because you know 
That's how it works. I wonder if he does it through the belly button. <laughs> uh, it's worth noting that the Cherokee also have a version of this story, but instead of a giant mosquito, it's a giant yellow jacket Ooh. called Ulagu, uh, and it was large enough to swoop down and pick up children and carry them back to its cave, which was called Tsagagnunyi, T-S-G-A-G-N-U-N apostrophe Y-I. Uh, which apparently means where the yellow jacket was. That's a much better name. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, and then people got fed up with its child eating, and so a bunch of hunters went to the mouth of the cave, built a big giant fire, and suffocated it. And just like the Roteo story, that's where present-day yellow jackets came from. Once the Ulagu died, they came out of it, and they were little bitty yellow jackets. Would you rather fight... A giant mosquito or a giant yellow jacket? Uh, I think the giant mosquito, because at least when, because presumably if either of them gets you, you're going to die. Well, we know for a fact that the mosquito kills you in one hit. the mosquito probably isn't going to hurt as bad as the sting, I would imagine. Right? Uh, I don't know. It it says in the story, we have primary source documents stating that you die (laughs) in one hit. Yeah, but, I mean, you're probably going to die either way, because a giant yellow jacket sting is probably going to kill you too, right? But it's going to hurt a lot worse. I don't know. Because it, a regular-sized yellow jacket hurts a lot. <laughs> so imagine, like, a hundred times that. I guess I'm less impressed with the yellow jacket, because he seemed much more easily defeated. Uh, that's true. They really outsmarted the yellow jacket. It didn't take um, a great warrior to kill him. It kind of raises the question, why didn't the mosquito just land on the great warrior but maybe it was because he was fleeing if he got too close he would have been toast i don't know uh anyway another story about the Averisboro gallinipper uh it said that in the 1850s there was a local tavern and suspended from the ceiling was a big old skeleton from a flying creature with a mosquito-like proboscis and skeptics will say that this was the skeleton of a big giant bird and they had removed the beak and carved a uh, mosquito proboscis <laughs> and stuck it on there and then put a sign under it that said the Averisboro Gallinipper. I, but... just, I just Googled this fellow and it looks like yeah. a really good D&D monster. Uh, yeah, because it s- sucks your dry. <laughs> like, it's, uh, I mean, that's... There's also a, a video I just saw called Gallinipper in my house. Yeah, there there's a real mosquito that is like a really big mosquito and uh it's they called it the Gallinipper presumably after this phenomenon, but it's apparently big enough that it like hurts when it stabs you. It's made up of the words galley and nipper. <laughs> I assumed it was like a contraction of gallon nipper. Oh, because it like drinks it would, a gallon of blood? Yeah, because it would like ah. suck out a gallon of blood. That's what I thought. But, uh, uh, you know. Let's see. It looks like it's... I, I was Googling it, and that's what I, I found. And it, there, there are many poems about this creature. One called... It's Mos- a very inspirational creature. Mosquito Moan. Ooh. And, <laughs> yeah, I'm getting shades of... Gray? Uh, what's that book? What's the book? Shades of Grey? Uh, that's similar, but I was talking about the book with the the green crystals. Twilight. Oh, the book we talked about on the podcast. <laughs> okay, the book with the green crystals? Yeah, it was, um, oh man. It was that, we, we found the website that had the really bad book reviews. Uh, oh, uh, the <laughs> I know the one you're talking about. <laughs> I want to say it's called Dust Bunny, but that's definitely not it. Yeah, it was it was something about a dragon, like a like the guy was a half dragon. Was like mm, that makes sense. Well, let's talk about the story of Red Saunders. Uh, in 1855, there were these two lumber crews working in the swamps down in Averisboro. One of them was from Chatham County, and they were working right beside a local team, and uh, they were cutting down trees in the swamps. And they developed a rivalry, partly and probably mostly because the leader of the Chatham County crew was a real loudmouth pain in the ass named Red Saunders, who was constantly bragging about how tough he was. He was the toughest on the crew. He was the toughest in the county. 
He's the toughest in the state, maybe the toughest in the world, and they got real sick of it. So one day, the Averisboro crew said, hey, sure, you're tough, Red, but we bet there's one thing in this swamp that is definitely tougher than you are, the mosquitoes. And they bet him that he would not be brave enough to strip down and lay face down on the ground for an hour and let the mosquitoes ravage him. And so, of course, Red said, uh, yeah, I am. So they found a real dense mosquito cloud. They built a fire for the rest of them to sit under. And uh, Red stripped down and laid down in the mud. And as you might expect, he was immediately blanketed in, in mosquitoes, just sucking him dry. Sounds like an Adult Swim cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, to his credit, he apparently did not flinch and even sat there and taunted the rest of the crew about it. And then about the 45-minute mark, there was a sudden sharp pain that stabbed into his back. And one of the men by the fire yelled, Gallinipper! And then Red screamed and jumped in the water and stayed under there till he was sure all the mosquitoes were gone. And when he came back out, the men by the fire told him how a giant mosquito the size of an eagle had landed on his back, and he was lucky to have survived because they'd seen a man drain dry in one bite before. It is worth noting, though, in some versions of the story, the men were laughing behind his back because there was no gallinipper, just a hot coal that they threw on his back. <laughs> yeah, that's where I thought it was going. But I think we all know the truth, <laughs> that Red narrowly survived a brush with death in the form of the Averisboro gallinipper. Man. I wonder what blood type he had. Like, I wonder if he got off easy because they didn't really like his blood or if he got eaten up big time. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I would have thought it must not have gotten a real good taste because it would have sucked him dry. So it must have just stabbed in and he flipped out and ran for the water. Oh, that's true. See, now we have a now we have a problem. Uh-oh. Because the story said whoever it lighted on... It sucked out all the blood and killed them. Yeah. And it definitely lighted on him. <laughs> well, I'm saying maybe it was mid-light. Like it hadn't completed the lighting process. So it had like one one foot down. <laughs> it was like it just gotten the proboscis in and he went ow and ran and jumped in the water before it could go. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. That's what the light, that's the lighting phase. Yeah, it, it was an incomplete light. Doesn't count. Well, it sounds like I've totally convinced you of the Averisboro Gallinipper. Is that correct? I'm pretty sure I fought th I've fought that in Hollow Knight as well. So I have seen it with my <laughs> own eyes. Hollow Knight is a game where everybody is an insect, by the way. So why don't we move on to the Chatham County Blood Shower? Oh, I wonder if the logging crew is also going to feature in this. On February 25th, 1884... In the town of New Hope in Chatham County, a Mrs. Kit Lassiter was taking a walk near her house uh, in a field, and she heard what sounded like a sudden burst of heavy rainfall. But of course it wasn't raining, so she looked up, confused, saw that it was a nice clear sky, and when she looked back down on the ground, there was an area about 50 by 70 feet, roughly rectangular all around her, that was covered in what appeared to be the aftermath of a shower of blood. Is that doesn't that just mean there was blood on a pool of blood on the ground? There were all these like or like rain droplets specs. of blood. Okay, okay. Yeah, and it was it was like a sandy soil, so it showed up pretty good, I guess. She runs to tell her neighbors. They come and look. Everybody says, "Wow, this is pretty crazy." And they take the story to the local newspapers, and they run a story about it, about how weird it is. Oddly, there's not immediately a lot of hubbub, presumably because I guess maybe nobody believes it, but a local doctor named Sidney Atwater was intrigued, and so he took a sample of the sand soaked with the red liquid to Dr. F.P. Venable, who is a professor of chemistry at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He uh, actually, the chemistry building is named after him. Yeah, I think he might have been, he was like pretty early on, I think. I think he helped get their chemistry program rolling. Uh, so he's he's no crackpot. But um, nothing happened immediately. I guess he had stuff to do. But about three weeks after the incident, Dr. Venable thought this was interesting enough to warrant a visit out to Mrs. Lasseter's house. He interviewed her. He interviewed the neighbors. Uh, he talked to 
Dr. Atwater and tried to see if he could find any more samples to test. And one witness he talked to, a Mr. S.A. Holloman, said that the drops varied in size from a small pea to the size of a man's finger and averaged about one drop per square foot. Oh, so so if it's a if it's as big as a man's finger, that's a that's clearly not a not a circular I yeah, I think like the diameter was the length of a man's finger, but it wasn't clear. I guess it could have been like the circumference of a man's finger. Hard to say. It didn't it didn't specify. People in these stories always give very odd <laughs> bases of comparison. Uh, yeah, I think Dr. Venable maybe dropped the ball on that one, recording <laughs> the sizes there, but hey, what are you going to do? So some of the small drops had absorbed into the sand, and some of the larger drops had coagulated on top of the ground, um, and some of the drops had hit on fence posts, and they had dried, and from the angle that they had hit the fence post they could tell that there must have been like a slight breeze because they came in a little bit sideways uh which is weird because i don't think i think they reported that there wasn't any wind that day uh just a note there dr venable interviewed a guy named dr robinson who lived nearby uh, who had collected samples and performed his own tests that confirmed to him that the substance was indeed blood and it even smelled like fresh blood when it was fresh. So that's one doctor that said it was definitely blood. Dr. Venable obtained samples from uh, Mr. Holloman and Dr. Atwater, though by Dr. Venable's um, own admission, both of them got their samples secondhand, apparently, from other people who were not named. So that's iffy. But he took the samples, he conducted several tests, which he wrote about uh, at length, and published his findings in the Journal of the Elisha Mitchell... Elisha Mitchell Scientific Society, Volume 1, in an article titled Blood Shower. Oh. That sounds very legitimate. That's <laughs> like most of the time when you see a, a literary paper today, it's like. It has a very boring, purposely boring title. <laughs> on the uh, isometric uh, trans oscillation yeah. diameter yeah. of a man's finger. No, he didn't. He didn't church it up with a bunch of fancy words. He put exactly what it was: <laughs> blood. blood shower, <laughs> which coincidentally is the medalist name of a scientific article that has ever existed. I believe that. Uh, but I'm going to read for you now an excerpt from Blood Shower. The analysis is detailed at length, as it is important to see on what foundation rest the claims of this material to be blood. The sand placed in cold water gave a brown-red solution. Treated with an acid solution of mercury nitrate, it gave a brick-red color. Nitric acid also caused the formation of this coagulum and gave the characteristic yellow tint on heating. The original solution in water was brightened in color, not turning green or crimson on adding ammonia. On leaving the solution two or three days, it readily putrefied, showing under the microscope a great swarm of bacteria. Examined by the microscope, the appearance of small, slightly altered corpuscles was seen, corresponding well with those gotten from slaughteryard soil. The spectrum of this substance, when the solution was perfectly fresh, gave a line in the yellow, none in the green, and a faint one in the red. On standing, the first two disappeared and the red absorption band, or line, became very distinct on adding ferrous sulfate, the red line disappeared and the two first became distinct. To explain now, the yellow and green lines are characteristic of reduced hematin, which is the red coloring, uh, red coloring matter of the blood. The red line is characteristic of acid hematine. If you take fresh blood and add tartaric acid to it, you get the red line. If you then add ferrous sulfate, you get the yellow and green. The material, then, according to the spectroscope, is partially decomposed blood. All right. This leaves little or no reasonable doubt, then, that the samples examined had blood upon them. The question arises, were the samples carefully taken? Had no animal ever bled on the same ground? Had pigs never been slaughtered in that quarter of the field? Etc. As to theories accounting... For so singular a material falling from a cloudless sky, I have no plausible ones to offer. 
It may have been some bird of prey passing over carrying a bleeding animal, but a good deal of blood must have, been, must have fallen to cover so large a space. If a hoax has been perpetrated on the people of that neighborhood, it has certainly been very cleverly done and an object seems lacking. On the possibility that it is not a joke, I have deemed this strange matter worthy of being placed on record. Other similar observations hereafter may corroborate it, and combined observations may give rise to the proper explanation. All right, I know exactly. I know exactly what happened here. Okay, tell me. <laughs> well, first, first thing I want to say is this is the most clickbait science article <laughs> of all time. Listen, uh, Venable knew how to write a title to draw you in. Exactly. That's, that's not up for debate. He had a good hook. We know that. All right. Here's what happened. So the theory that he proposes is maybe some bird of prey was passing over with a bleeding animal. And I think he's halfway right. I think there was an animal carrying blood. I think a fat gallon nipper <laughs> came buzzing over the field, but he had a, just a little too much in his gut and exploded upon the sand. <laughs> and that would explain the partially digested, decomposed blood, too. A mighty warrior blasted a galanipper yeah. midair yeah. and just sent. <laughs> that's a I good, mean, good I think, theory. I think that's, I think that's it. Uh, you might have nailed it. That covers, <laughs> that covers our first two. I guess we better boogie down on this last one because we're already running pretty long here. Uh, but it sounds like you are a definite believer in the Verisboro galanipper and the Chatham County blood shower. Well, they line up so well. I can't wait to see what this last one is about. And see how I can shoehorn a gallon nipper <laughs> into this story. I think the blood shower is really interesting because, like, Dr. Venable, I think he approached it really scientifically here. And he, like, very clearly laid out what he did and was like, it appears to be blood to me. I have no idea how it could have gotten here. But I'm going to, like, record this in this scientific journal that will be saved forever in the UNC archives. And maybe someday somebody will figure it out. And he didn't say things like, witnesses called it, quote, unquote, a man's finger size, quote, unquote. <laughs> it was probably an owl carrying yes. a bloody mouse. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, let's move on to our final one. I think you'll think this one's interesting. It's the, the mystery of Nell Cropsey. Have you ever heard of this one? Nope. No. No, no, I've never heard of it. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, in 1898, William and Mary Louise Cropsey, along with their teenage daughters, Ella and Olive, moved from Brooklyn, New York to Elizabeth City, North Carolina, which coincidentally, if you listen to our first in fright number one, Boojum and Teaches Hole, Elizabeth City is where Blackbeard's crew was off drinking and getting laid while he was ambushed. So just Throwback. a fun little... Fu Fun little tie in there. The Cropsey family was wealthy. William became a judge when he moved down to Elizabeth City. Their daughters were reportedly beautiful, and soon they were the most eligible bachelorettes in town. And Nell started dating a man named Jim Wilcox, who I believe was the son of the sheriff. And Olive started dating a guy named Roy Crawford, who apparently had no parents of note. This went on for a while, but after about three years, Jim Wilcox had not yet proposed to Nell Cropsey, and she was starting to get impatient. So she started flirting with other guys in public to try and get him jealous, uh, jealous enough to lock it down, which sounds like a good plan. But then on November 20th, 1901, uh, Nell and Jim and Olive and Roy were hanging out at the Cropsey house. Their parents had already gone to bed for the evening. And around 11 p.m., Wilcox asked Nell to join him on the front porch. And unfortunately, as in many a romantic comedy, they got into a long, loud argument. Clearly about the fact that they, you know, the other uh, farmer and cow had met six months after these two had met <laughs> and were already yeah, sold Yeah, presumably, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, it is unknown what specifically they argued about, 
but Olive and Roy were able to hear that they were shouting about it and said that it sounded like maybe by the end they had tentatively made up, but they couldn't really be sure. And then around 11.30, they assumed that Nell had slipped by them and gone to bed, which seems difficult. So I assume maybe they were smooching on the couch or something, because I think you would see her coming back in, you know? But regardless, yeah. <laughs> what'd you say? Well, I, I think I tried to say, yeah, but I think my throat <laughs> also made a weird warbling noise at the same time. So I want to hear just, it on the audio. It sounded like a cat dying. In my I just, it, it delights me that this is the 1890s. And like clearly, like these are unchaperoned teenage girls. Like, oh, they're but their parents are out with their boyfriend. The parents in like the same left house. Them. Yeah, but but they went to bed and aren't supervising them. And like two of them went to the porch by themselves and left the other two alone. Like it's it's such a scandalous story. But anyway, so eleven uh, thirty comes and goes. They assume that that Jim left and that Nell went to bed without interrupting them so Roy leaves he doesn't see any sign of anybody on the porch Ollie goes to her bedroom which she shared with Nell but she wasn't there and she's a little worried about that but she figures maybe she went out with Jim somewhere and they they went off I don't know partying in the night and so she just goes ahead to bed and minds her own business and that was the last time anybody would see Nell alive she was 19 years old Marty formulating a hypothesis Excellent. Formulate away, because around midnight, which is only about 30 minutes later, the family dog starts barking like crazy. So everybody pours out of the house, goes to the front porch to see what's going on, and they notice Nell is not there. Also, they don't see anybody else there. The dog was, whatever the dog was barking at, it is unspecified. They didn't see it. But um, Mrs. Cropsey is pretty worried about this Nell situation, but... Her husband tries to calm her down and says, hey, they've been dating for a while. We know she wanted to get engaged. Maybe she talked him into going to elope, and they just ran off to go elope somewhere. Sometimes these youngsters do that, you know? But when morning came and Nell was still missing, uh, he abandoned his eloping theory because uh, they went to her room and none of her luggage or clothes were missing, none of her belongings. And they were apparently about to take a trip to New York together, and she was really excited about it. She wouldn't have missed it for the world. So so they, they thought, well, maybe we ought to go talk to Jim. So Mr. Cropsey, the judge, presumably pretty good at, you know, lawyering people out of a lie, you know? Uh, he goes over to Jim Wilcox's house. It's about to go full Judge Dredd. I am the law! But Jim refuses to come down to the parlor to meet with Mr. Cropsey, which is a little suspicious. So Mr. Cropsey goes to the chief of police, who goes back to the Wilcox house with him and forces Jim Wilcox to come down and talk to everybody. Uh, They actually go talk at the Cropsey house. They question him for hours, apparently, but he doesn't really say a whole lot. All he'll say is that they had a 10-minute conversation on the porch. He wouldn't say what it was about. After that, he left Nell crying on the porch, and he went home. Well, actually, no, he didn't say he went home. He would not say where he went afterwards, but he left. She was crying on the porch, end of night, and that's all he would say. None of this looks good for Jim Wilcox. I'm sure this has entered into your hypothesis. Is that... (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. Not not, not quite. Oh, okay. Well, they... They arrest Jim Wilcox uh, on suspicion of kidnapping, and they search the town for Nell, but find no trace, no clues, no Nell anywhere. And at that point, I'm going to pause, and I would like you to tell me your hypothesis. I'm very, very curious. Well, it's it's not complete yet, because it probably depends on more details, but here's what I've got so far. All right. So, they go outside on the porch. I don't think that they're arguing about getting married right okay i think she's out on the porch first she sees something outside and she says jim come look at this (laughs) and he runs out and there's nothing there and she's adamant that she saw something and he won't believe her and then she gets stabbed (laughs) in the back and 
And Jim screams out, Gallinipper! <laughs> and it sucks blood out of her body, leaving her little more than a dried husk. But this Gallinipper is still hungry. <laughs> and it goes after Jim. But there's not enough room in its body, so it can't kill him. It only gets a little bit of... It, it gets mid... Mid-light? <laughs> mid-light. <laughs> and it lazily floats away before exploding in Chatham County. That's the story. Well, let's continue on and see if your your hypothesis holds together. For more than a month, there's no word from Nell, no clues. The investigation goes nowhere. Wilcox doesn't change his story. He sits in jail, and then the family receives a letter, which had a New York postmark, uh, and it told quite a tale. The letter said that Nell had interrupted a vagrant while he was trying to steal the Cropsey's pig, and that he had hit her over the head with a heavy stick, knocking her unconscious. He carried her down to the river, stole a convenient boat, and then dropped the unconscious or possibly already dead Nell into the river, and then the letter included a map of where the body could be found, which is weird and worrisome. A, a, a stick or a proboscis. <laughs> Uh, a few days later, on December 27th, uh, Mrs. Cropsey is standing on the porch looking out over the Pascatank River, and she sees something floating in the water. She sends some boatmen to go check it out, and they return with Nell's body. Strangely enough, her body was apparently found pretty close to where the map said it would be, so that's interesting. An autopsy stated that Nell was killed by a blow to the temple. No word on if there was any blood left in her body. I'm sorry, the, the autopsy did not state that. But once Nell's body was discovered, uh, the town kind of flipped out. They formed a lynch mob, and they surrounded the jail and uh, <laughs> said, you better turn Wilcox over to us so we can hang him. Uh, and the, to, to be fair, the Cropsey family did not join and tried to get them to not do it because, uh, you know, Cropsey was a judge. He probably understood justice should be served normal but they surrounded it and governor acock had to send a small naval reserve group and once he released his seamen into the crowd they dispersed and went to their homes just repeat that last sentence for me he went and got a, a naval reserve group and they they busted up the the crowd oh uh, okay <laughs> but despite all that wilcox still refused to account for his whereabouts and he insisted he had nothing to do with it so he was tried for Nell's murder which he maintained his innocence although he did not take the stand and he was convicted but the North Carolina Supreme Court overturned that decision later declaring a mistrial I could not find out why they declared a mistrial but they did so he was tried a second time and convicted a second time of uh, well this time it was second degree murder and he was sentenced to 30 years in prison and he served uh, I think it was like 19 years of it or something. Well, no, I guess it would have been less than that. It was probably like 17 years. In 1920, he's pardoned by Governor Thomas Bickett. And then in 1932, he's hanging out in Elizabeth City. And uh, there's a newspaper editor named W.O. Saunders. And he wants to write a book about the Nell Cropsey story. So he talks Wilcox into sitting down and telling him everything, which apparently he did, and then Saunders was going to write a book about it. Unfortunately, two weeks after the interview, Jim Wilcox committed suicide. And shortly after that, W.O. Saunders died in a car accident, taking the specifics of whatever Jim Wilcox had told him to the grave. As far as we know, Jim Wilcox maintained his innocence all the way to his death, and from what we know about their conversation, apparently Saunders left their interview pretty confident that Jim Wilcox was innocent. But we'll never know where he went that night, which is frustrating. Because uh, it means we'll probably never know the truth about Nell's death, but uh, for the last 100 years or so, the, the Cropsey house, it stayed a private residence, and uh, it's been pretty haunted ever since then, as you might imagine. Uh, lights go on and off by themselves, doors slam shut, water faucets turn on, there's icy cold spots all over the house, people walking by frequently report seeing a pale young woman in the window, 
and residents of the house sometimes see a ghostly woman roaming around in the hallways, and even in one occasion, she was standing over somebody's bed, which sounds terrifying. That's a shag carpet situation. Uh, here's my yeah. take on this. First of all, uh, any, sign me up anytime to, for a house that randomly begins freezing, because that sounds amazing to me. Yeah, I could get into that right about now. Yeah. Secondly, doesn't the fact that the ghost is restless mean that justice was not served? Uh, yeah. I, well, I mean, I guess, I think. Isn't that usually how it goes? I would think the ghost would be at peace if the guy went to jail for 20 years and killed himself. Like, Well, he, but he was pardoned, um, so maybe, maybe she wanted him to finish out the sentence, or, uh, oh, or maybe bet. she just wants it solved, like, wants it to be public public knowledge like that he did it because because there's a lot of doubt that you know that it might not have been him that it might have been somebody else entirely and it just looked really bad for him although i can't imagine what would be so important that he would you know not tell anybody you know what i mean well if he if he did it there's definitely somebody else that knows about it or not anymore but because he obviously had a man on the outside make that letter that showed up at uh, their house. Wait, say that again? I, I said if he is the person that killed her, he obviously had an accomplice because someone had to deliver the letter and the map to their house. If See, it's a problem because now that story is 117 years old, so it's possible that the letter is just a piece of folklore that got added onto it. But if the letter is true and it actually was postmarked from New York, that really complicates things because he would have had to mail it from New York. And the only way to do that would be if he knew somebody up there and was like, Hey, can you mail this letter for me? Don't read it, please. <laughs> or if he, uh, well, he couldn't have mailed it himself cause he was in jail. Right. So their family was from New York. Their family was from New York. Uh, and presumably William Cropsey was a lawyer and or judge in New York. So, I mean, I could definitely see him having enemies, but wait a if, minute. I mean, if that's the case, then it then like the actual contents of the letter, like the writer of the letter would be lying then because if they came all the way from New York to murder to get back at the Cropsey family, then the pig story is stupid. Well, I'm I'm about to blow your mind. Uh-oh. Can you think <laughs> hit me of anyone else? I'm holding my butt. <laughs> Hold on. Your mind is <laughs> my mind is. <laughs> Can you think of anyone else that is known for traveling from North Carolina to New York? Uh, well, I guess whoever they, I mean, well, maybe they probably weren't staying with somebody. I don't know if who they were staying with in New York, but I guess they would have known. So Incorrect. Family, maybe. That's not the answer I wanted you to say. The answer <laughs> oh. I was looking for was, Roteo. Uh-oh. <laughs> Book it. Traveled from Tuscarora Indian lands in North Carolina to Damn, I didn't Lake even... Onondaga. There it I is. I didn't even Boom. make that connection. But yeah, we already know that the Gallinipper, uh, that's his region from North Carolina that's his up route. to New York. Yeah. And dang. As, the, as the crow flies. He doesn't have to take the roads either. Yeah. Ooh, man. Yep. That's true. I think you nailed it. It was the Gallinipper all along. And? Hold on. I had something. Didn't you tell me? Wasn't there something about, oh, oh, oh. Remember what the Gallinipper tried to cover this up, right? Yes. Do you remember? Do you remember what Dr. Venable said the prank might have been? Or not the prank, but one of the explanations for the blood being in the field. A large bird carrying an animal? <gasps> he did say like that. Pig. Well, he actually specifically mentioned a pig. He said, did, yeah. no, did no pig die in this corner of the field? And in yeah. the letter, it specifically Ooh. said that someone was trying to steal a pig. So do you think the Gallinipper, after his what, what the great warrior Terry thought was the death of the Gallinipper, actually, it was just a cover, and he's been laying low this whole time, maybe living off pigs, at least part of the time. And as he was swooping in for this pig at the Cropsey house, Nell saw him. He had to take care of her. 
He still takes the pig, though, and goes and accidentally drops it over UNC. Or at least it bleeds. Hmm? I think I think we're on I think we're on the trail. I think we're on to something here. Uh no word on if the um pig was actually stolen from the Cropsey family. I never could find that out. Um so the the poor pig's fate is unknown. But yeah. It's all tied together. But that's all I had for uh First and Fright Part two. What do you think? Pretty cool, right? I think you did a masterful job of making <laughs> me think that they were three completely unrelated stories and that they all have the same antagonist. Uh, if you have any insights into where the Gallinipper may be now or who his next victim might be, you can let us know at SlothPod on Twitter or you can send us a Gmail at SlothPod at gmail.com or you can uh, like maybe draw a picture of where you think the pig's whereabouts are uh, and then post that on Instagram, we're Slothman Prophecies Podcast. Uh, I am in the process of turning over control of our Instagram ac- account to Katie, so hopefully it will be more active soon. You could also tweet Catthulu at Catthulu Photogen. You can figure out how to spell it yourself. Uh, and don't forget, we do have a T Public store. Just search for Slothman Prophecies on T Public because the link is real long, and uh, or you can find the link on our Twitter page. But all the proceeds from that during Fiesta Ween, a.k.a. October, are going to uh, help Florence relief efforts. And, um, yeah, it's about to get spooky next week. I found something that goes even deeper. Uh Uh-oh, I'm holding on to my butt. Remember when I told you I found a couple of songs about the Gallinipper? Oh, excellent. One of them is called... The blue tail fly. The word gallinipper is in that song, and I think that's the first recorded usage of it. Interesting. 1846. That's when the song. That's when the song was written in 1846. Oh wow! So I and it actually has the word gallinipper in it. It's not just talking about a big bug. It says gallinipper. So that might be the first recorded usage of it. I'm not sure. Well, on that note, I guess we'll leave it there because it is hot. Uh, I've been Carl. This is Justin. Don't don't do this to me. Don't you do this to me. I said it already. <laughs> I said it. <laughs> we'll see you next time. So he's is he he's in a different dynasty? Uh, no, it's it goes to the oldest person in your dynasty. But the thing is, it was I was only going to inherit it because it was like that character's child was going to inherit. Oh, so Scotland. so you won't lose the game, but your territory will be severely diminished. Yeah, this this like I would have quadrupled my territory and cornered the market on the UK, which I've been working towards for three or four generations now. And this butthole just destroyed everything so that he could be king for a minute before he dies. And he's probably not even going to be that because I'm definitely trying to murder him right now. And even so he's 40 years older than me. No, I said that (sighs) I said that death and hollow Knight is very fast paced and death and crusader Kings is slow but that's not quite an appropriate analogy because you you'll be playing Crusader <laughs> Kings and everything is nice and you're having a great time and you'll see that enemy force with ten thousand troops show up and realize that you are completely fucked <laughs> and there's nothing you can <laughs> no, do about it nothing or you'll be like me and you'll be like playing that long game going into this person's wars every five seconds like six wars in a row. And you get worn down, and your own guys rebel against you and f everything up. So you gotta oh, you gotta so marry worst. you gotta marry up.
I loved calling in like the king of Spain to come whoop my little brothers and sisters' asses with his gigantic <laughs> army. Well, see, I, I did, I did marry up, but my mother-in-law is like the queen of half of Scotland, and for whatever reason, as soon as she took control, like six other massive Swedish kingdoms come in and just start laying waste to the entire place. So it makes you wonder how we're even here today. It's it's the worst. Vikings are the worst. My uncle in the game is the worst. I just want to like get my own character killed so that like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know how to fix it. There's no way to fix it now. It's just totally broken unless I like murder every character that is older than my character somehow, which is apparently not going to happen. So 